Hey Church Home, I am Dr. Jamar Tisby, and listen, this is an honor. It's a privilege to be able to give you a message today straight from God's Word, but I just want you to know how much I admire the work that God is doing in and through this church, the leaders. Thank you so much to Judah Smith, to Chelsea, and the whole team for allowing me this opportunity to talk about a topic I am so passionate about, and it's the image of God. We're continuing a four-part series on the image of God. Now, I am a historian, and for some people that immediately puts them to sleep, but let me tell you, it is awesome. Because people think that historians are, are just obsessed with the past, and obviously we are, but honestly, what historians are obsessed with are stories. I love a good story. And I love a good story in the form of a documentary. So, Recently, I was watching one on Mary J. Blige. Now, I hope our, our society hasn't fallen into such a state that, that you don't at least recognize the name Mary J. Blige because she has justifiably been called the queen of hip hop and R&B. And just to give you a sense of how incredible a star she is, this documentary wasn't just about her life. It was to commemorate the 25th anniversary of one of her albums, which is called my life. And it was a cultural phenomenon at the time. So they wanted to commemorate. Now, Mary J. Blige has had an incredible career. She has sold 50 million albums. She's been, uh, she won several, five Grammys, I think. And she's even been nominated for some Oscars. So she's an incredible talent. What struck me watching this documentary, several times in different ways throughout the course of this film, she said, I couldn't see what others saw in me because I didn't believe in myself. I couldn't see the talent, the skill that they saw that I had because I didn't believe that I had it, because I didn't believe that I was worthy. I couldn't believe what others said because I didn't believe in me. And that just struck me because this was a one-of-a-kind talent, right? Like everybody wants to be discovered. Usually you gotta work years and years and years to get your big break. She recorded a cassette tape, not even of original music, just her doing covers of songs. It was so good that somebody who knew somebody got it in the hands of a record producer. They heard it in their office and were like, I'm coming the next day. And this record producer went to Mary J. Blige's apartment in the projects and listened to her sing a cappella, no band, no studio, and signed her that day. Said, you're gonna have a record deal. That's how good she was. And yet, she couldn't see it. She didn't believe it in herself. And as astounding as that is, Mary J. Blige has this kind of once in a generation talent. But so many of us, that same story is true. We can't see the goodness in ourselves because we don't believe it of us. This is the importance of the image of God. You are the centerpiece of God's creation. When God looks at you, God sees a star. You don't need to wait for your big break with God. You already have it. You're beautiful in God's sight. And God wants a relationship with you. But I have the sober responsibility to tell you that's not always the way it works out, is it? It's not always what we remember and believe about ourselves. In fact, 
You can think of like, you go to a carnival or a fair and, and there's these fun house mirrors and they're like wavy and different shapes. And then when you go and you see your reflection in that fun house mirror, it distorts your real image, right? So you're taller, you're shorter, you're wider, you're skinnier, all of that stuff. Or I guess, <laughs> I guess the more contemporary uh, analogy would be like, like, like a filter on Instagram or TikTok, right? You put these filters over your real appearance, over your real image, and it distorts it in some sort of way. So it's kinda look, it kind of looks like you, but it's not. That's often what happens with the image of God. For all kinds of reasons, sexism, classism, racism, the image of God, our picture of ourselves, gets distorted. I think that's what was happening with Mary J. Blige. She grew up in a context of poverty, of physical danger, of abuse and trauma that distorted her image of herself. So she didn't have that view that God has of her and of all of us as precious in God's sight. But what is the cause of this? What is the source of this? We had this great message in part one about uh, being made in the image of God and what that means, the grace of God to make us like himself. Where did we go so wrong? How did we get it wrong? There's a distortion problem with the image of God because there's a dominion problem. There's a distortion problem because there's a dominion problem. Let's, let's go back to Genesis chapter one. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 31, and I'll just read it. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. That's the picture. That's what it's supposed to be like. The sixth day, God rested on the seventh. We have the crown, the ultimate of God's creation, right? But somehow that image gets distorted. And what I'm saying is that image gets distorted because of dominion. Now that's an old fashioned Bible word. What that is translated in what we just read is rule over, rule over. So we'll get into that, the, 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 the sort of, thick of it in, in the Bible about what dominion means. But, but, but let me tell you up front that when we're talking about the distortion of the image of God, one of the things we have to talk about is racism. 
It's racism. Now understand, anytime we diminish someone, anytime we disrespect someone, that's a distortion of the image. So if we do that because of sex or gender, if we do that because of wealth or poverty, if we do that because of ethnicity or race, it's all an offense to how God made us in God's image and likeness. But one of the things that's really global, but certainly is pertinent to the United States, is, is this idea that, 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 that people of a certain color, culture, background are better than other people. And I wanna talk about how that actually relates to the image of God and the distortions that we have. So, so first of all, Let's get the language right, right? Like I just said race, I just said racism. What does that mean, actually? What, 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 what are we talking about in terms of definitions? Well, I'm not gonna give you, well, yes, I will give you kind of a concise definition to go with it, but I'm gonna unpack that. Uh, I get this from Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum. She's a social psychologist, and she says that racism is a system of oppression based on race. Racism is a system of oppression based on race. Now, obviously there's a lot more that we can add to that. It's a short definition so we can remember it. It's not necessarily meant to be a comprehensive definition, but I do think it is instructive. So let's break it down. A system of oppression based on race. Let's talk about race. Okay, so first of all, I gotta say this. I know you know this, but I gotta say this. Race as a construct, as something that we made up in society, race is not rooted in any biological or spiritual fact. Race is not rooted in any biological or spiritual fact, right? So, so biologically, <laughs> race is simply the amount of melanin in someone's skin. The closer to the equator are, you are, the more sun you get, the more melanin you need. Folks moved up to Europe in different places and they didn't need as much. Money. So that accounts for the differences in skin tone, literally that. But to put it in perspective for you, uh, there's uh, a geneticist, um, Ricardo Sabatini. He said that if you were to sort of um, type out the genetic code of any human being, it would take up 262,000 pages. Of those 262,000 pages, only 500 pages would be different from person to person. So you can do the math on that. We are way more alike biologically than we are different. Race and racism has no basis in biological fact. It's a thing that we made up to cut and divide and stratify society, right? But racism also doesn't have any basis in, in, in spiritual reality either. We're just talking about the image of God and God is so lavish in God's grace that, that, that the image of God applies to all people everywhere, inclusive of every race and of every ethnicity and of every nation, of every tribe. That goes for all people. If you are a human being, you are in the image and likeness of God. And guess what? We're all in the same boat. We've all rebelled against God. We're all in need of Jesus and the good news that we can restore a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So 
spiritual reality tells us. There's, there's no hierarchy here. God is gracious. God is gracious to all of us. A system of oppression based on race. But what we've done is we've taken this physical characteristic. How random is this? Skin color, right? Like not ear shape or eye color or whatever. We just took this random characteristic, physical characteristic, and made it a thing. It's a system of oppression based on race. Let's talk about oppression. Because race, it's not neutral, right? It's not simply descriptive in, in terms of what we've made race to be. Yeah, we can talk descriptively about how people look, but, but when we talk about the construct of race, it is a system that is designed to oppress some and elevate others. It's not a neutral thing, y'all. It is not God's design. It's a dominion problem of certain people thinking they're higher or lower than others. And here's what oppression does. Okay, so first of all, as I talk about race, immediately our minds jump to black, white. Absolutely, certainly, I'll talk more about that. But understand the problem of racism affects everyone people of any race or ethnicity. We've had recently in the United States a, an alarming spike in anti-Asian racism. There's this, there's this pernicious stereotype of the model minority. We make up all these stories about uh, Latinx folks and immigrants. We, 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 we talk about uh, Native American and indigenous people in certain ways. And, and what happens is uh, racism socially constructs like concentric circles, like, 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 like think of a dartboard with you know, the bullseye, bullseye in the center and then concentric circles coming out from that. What, what, what racism does is says what is white is right, and that's in the center. And then every other people group occupies a different circle beyond that. And basically, this is so dumb, but this is how racism works. The darker skinned you are, the further you are from the center. And that goes for every group of people. By the way, this funhouse mirror distortion, this Instagram TikTok filter, that messes with white people too. It distorts the image. We're going to talk about that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Racism is oppressive. It's also a system. One of the biggest errors that we make in talking about racism is thinking it's purely individual and interpersonal. It's about how one person feels about someone else. And obviously that's part of it. There's, there's real hatred. There's real malice in people toward folks who look different. But that's not it. Racism operates as a system. It can be embedded in rules and laws and policies. And by the way, this isn't just like the big stuff, like the federal government. Did you know that your school has policies? Did you know even that your family has informal policies, if you want to think of it that way? So this is, this is as personal as you can get, but it's talking about the way society is set up to give advantages to certain people and disadvantages to others. This shows up in a lot of ways. So um, 
many people will say things like, well, you know, racism is a thing of the past, like the system of oppression based on race. Okay, but we're done with that now, right? Like we had a black president in the United States. Clearly, we're post-racial. Ha ha ha. No, of course we're not. It's laughable because racism is so insidious. One of the things I say is that racism never goes away, it just adapts. Racism never goes away, it just adapts. So, so, so you, know, you know how when you were young, um, it, you knew you were really in trouble if an adult called you by your full name, like your first, middle, and last name, like, you know, William Aloysius Smith, you get over here right now. You knew you were in for it. You knew they were serious. So when I talk about slavery, I use the full name. Race-based chattel slavery. Race-based chattel slavery. Chattel means property. Talk about disrespecting the image of God. We had human beings looking directly at other image bearers and saying, I own you. I own you. We have a dominion problem. Now we think, okay, well, you know, we abolished slavery. By the way, that wasn't so easy. It took America's bloodiest war, the Civil War, to finally abolish slavery. But she said, okay, we're past that. Slavery is gone, racism is over. Well, then you have almost a century of Jim Crow racism and segregation. This is the period of brutal lynchings in the United States. This is a period, here's how ridiculous racism gets. In my town, which is in uh, the Mississippi Delta on the Arkansas side, there is an old segregated cemetery. Think about the juxtaposition of those words, segregated cemetery. That means that even in death, racism said a black person and a white person couldn't be eaten by worms in the same plot of dirt. Racism never goes away, it adapts. And then you say, well, we had the civil rights movement. You know, 64 Civil Rights Act, 65 Voting Rights, you know, Fair Housing Act, we're good. Are we though? Are we good where, when there's a racial wealth gap? When white people in the US have 10 times or more the wealth of a black family? Are we good when black women die in maternity related deaths at three times the rate of white women? Are we good? And it's not just on these big levels. It's this personal level too. Are we good when it feels like um, the teachings and the understanding of God that come out of communities of color is somehow less than, right? When I was in seminary, all theology was just theology until it was black theology or Latin American theology, or Asian American theology. It all of a sudden had to be labeled when it was from people of color, but when it was from European or white people, it was just theology. Do you see how that sets up a hierarchy? Do you see how that diminishes the image of God in people that, 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 that people of color, because of the amount of melanin in their skin, don't have as much of or the same access to God as other people? That's how racism shows up in everyday ways. And I gotta tell you this, I tell you this, because I consider you friends, brothers and sisters, so I gotta tell you the truth. The reality is that religion has often been the vehicle of racism. The reality that 
In many cases, Christianity has often been the carrier of racism. I'll never forget, I was, I was at a museum in Williamsburg, Virginia on a family vacation, but I'm such a history geek, I'm like, we gotta go to the museums. And so I was in the museum and browsing around and I'm the kind of person who reads every single placard, every single written word that goes with every picture. And I was doing that and then I was dumbstruck by one thing that I read. It was a, a placard that said in the year 1667, a group of men called the Virginia Assembly, who were all white and were all Anglican, so Christian, passed a law saying that baptism would not emancipate an enslaved indigenous person, African person, or person of mixed race descent. <laughs> what? You have a group of Christians passing a law that says essentially, God can have your soul, but we own your body. We have a dominion problem. In 1845, 16 years before the outbreak of the Civil War, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is in the United States the largest Protestant denomination, it split over the question of slavery. But I want to put a finer point on it. It wasn't just the question of slavery. Here's where it split. The controversy was over whether a white minister who enslaved people could go be a missionary and still be in good standing in the church. Think about this. You have a person who feels called by God to carry the good news of Jesus Christ, probably to places where there are black and brown folk who meanwhile at home owned black people. That's what the split was over. And by the way, it wasn't just Baptists. I'm not picking on y'all. It was Presbyterians, it was Methodists, the Catholic Church has had its issues, of course. Religion has often been the vehicle of racism. Even in the 20th century, there were, there, the fact that this has a label is also mind-blowing. They were pro-segregation Christians. And they would go to passages in the Bible to justify the racial separation of human beings dishonoring the image of God, the dominion problem. And they would go to the Bible to justify their hatred and their attempt to hold power over people. I want so deeply for us to see the beauty and the value and the dignity in every single person who has breath. I don't care how tall you are, how short you are, what language you speak, how much money you have, whatever it is, you are in the image and likeness of God. That's on purpose. You're gorgeous in God's sight. Let that sink in. Nobody's called me gorgeous in my life, but <laughs> the Bible says in so many words, because of the doctrine of the image of God, you are gorgeous in God's sight. That's why I'm so passionate about getting this racism thing eradicated. Get it out of here. Because it messes with how God sees us. It distorts that image. It messes with how we see ourselves and how we see other people. So I said time and time again, we have a dominion problem. Let me unpack that briefly before we close. 
In that passage I read, it said, let us make mankind in our image and likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let's dig into that verse. We were talking about being made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah, that's great, that's awesome, I feel good. Stand up a little taller because of that. That's cool, 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 cool. That's not it. You see, in that passage, right after it says, let us make mankind in our image and likeness, God attaches a purpose to that image bearing. Those words, so that, that's our purpose. What is our purpose? What is the purpose of being made in the image and likeness of God? So that we may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, and black people. And immigrants. And other people of color. Is that what it says? No. That's not what it says at all. God created us in God's image and likeness so that we could rule over nature, rule over creation, but not rule over each other. That's the dominion problem that we have. By the way, rule over, in, in biblical terms, it's actually quite beautiful. I know it has this context of, of being like really oppressive, but here's what the Bible means by that. Rule over means to cultivate the garden of God's earth. Rule over means to create culture. This is what's so cool. Part of being made in the image and likeness of God means you write poetry, means you write songs, means you build beautiful buildings with gorgeous architecture, means you write words and books and articles. That's what God wants. This is part of being made in God's image and likeness, that we are creators in a derivative sense. God created out of nothing, we can't do that. But we can use the raw materials that God gave us to create beautiful things. And in that way, we image our creator. We're like our creator. But what racism does is said, not only do I rule over the earth, I rule over you. What racism does is say that I have dominion, not just over the plants and the animals and the creeping things on the ground, but over other human beings. And in that way, they repeat the same folly, the same rebellion of Adam and Eve. When they were tempted in the garden to take that forbidden fruit, what did the tempter use? He said, you can be like God. What racism says, what ethnocentrism says, what sexism says, what classism says, what, they, what all those isms say is not only do I want to be like God, I will be God over you. That's why it's so heinous. It's kind of, it's kind of a bleak picture, isn't it? All of these isms, all of the ways that we've distorted the image of God in one another. But I've got one more bit of information for you. There's good news. There's light in the darkness. What does Jesus Christ say about all this dominion stuff? We've twisted it to rule over other people, but what does Jesus do? Jesus comes into the world and says to his disciples, 
you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Folks, that's how we're supposed to live. That's what we do. We're not, we're not made to, to have dominion over one another but to depend on one another. We're not made to rule over one another, but to serve one another. If you wanna be great, you become least. And then that becomes the radical message of Jesus Christ in the world. Now the world says, I need to find a way to get over on somebody else because I really only derive meaning by being superior to someone else or to some other group of people. But what, what, what the followers of Jesus Christ do is say, how can I serve you? How can I honor the image of God in you? And so do you recognize, do you see how this changes the way you use your money? How this changes the way you use your privilege? How this changes the way you use your social status? Not to be served, but to serve. We have a dominion problem. But we have good news too. It's that Jesus Christ, who loves you and wants a relationship with you, is gonna transform all of this in your life so that you see yourself more clearly. He takes that distorted funhouse mirror, he takes that, 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 that filter that you've put over your life and helps you see yourself clearly as gorgeous in God's sight, as precious in God's sight. And when you see yourself in the eyes of Jesus, you start to see the world through the eyes of Jesus too. That's how you honor the image of God in all people. Pray with me. Lord, we are so thankful that you love us, that you want a relationship with us, that you care about us enough to send your son into the world so that we could see ourselves, you, and everyone else more clearly. God, thank you for making us in your image and likeness. And if you are under the sound of my voice and you need to be lifted up, you need to be reminded of your infinite brilliance, value, and worth in God's sight, then wherever you are, just raise your hand. Raise your hand and say, God, I'm ready and you will find Jesus who's ready for you to lift up your chin, to say you are precious, you are brilliant, you are worthy, so worthy that I would give my life for you and I call you friend. In Jesus' name, amen.